You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. A couple years ago, I was invited to speak in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I have to say, I've been to Arkansas a couple times as a kid, and I didn't put it high on my list of states where I was going to find great things happening. Man, was I ignorant and wrong. (laughs) When I got to Fayetteville, there's a lot of great stuff going on and a lot of really thoughtful people engaged in the process. I've got one of them on the phone today. Chris Brown, you're the city engineer, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, city engineer for Fayetteville, Arkansas, Chris Brown. I wanted to have you on because I wanted to chat about uh, some of the stuff you guys have been doing. But first, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Were you there when I came a couple years ago? Did you and I meet in person? I was. I, I was not able to make the meeting, though. So unfortunately, I didn't get to hear you at that time. The people there were fantastic and really packed a huge auditorium uh, full of people. And the questions were engaging. And I just, I walked out of there really exhilarated about Fayetteville. Are you a native? Um, I'm originally from Northeast Arkansas, um, grew up in uh, in Pocahontas was my hometown, but came over to Fayetteville to, to go to school here. And I uh, really just kind of fell in love with the area, never left. I I worked in uh, the city of Springdale for my first 12 years and have been here about 11 at Fayetteville. So that's uh, that's kind of my story. You're a licensed civil engineer. Yes, sir. What made you want to become an engineer? I'm always interested in the backstories of my, my yeah. fellow professionals. <laughs> My dad, we were we lived on a farm, but he also had a backhoe service. So I, I helped him with that. We put in a lot of uh, septic systems, those sorts of things. So I learned to shoot grades and use laser levels and that sort of thing. So I had interest in construction, and then uh, one day in my physics class, I don't I don't even know what what year that was, but my physics teacher, Mr. Miller, said, you know, you're you're pretty good at math and science. You really should think about being an engineer. And uh, so I said, oh, engineer, I don't really don't really know what that is. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, that kind of planted the seed. I mean, that really was the start of it. You know, I began researching that and uh, researching civil engineering in particular. And uh, here I am. I mean, I think I've got, got to thank my, my dad for putting me to work and Mr. Miller for uh, just kind of uh, making a suggestion that uh, that turned into now over a 20-year career. That's fantastic. What kind of stuff do you do on a regular day? I mean, what is your regular course of business in, you know, a week or a month working there involved? What kind of projects? Well, I, I always joke to, to all my guys that my goal is to uh, not do anything and have them right. do all the work, and I just sit back and watch it happen. Now, so, now you're really an engineer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to attain that. I don't know if I'll ever get there or not, but uh, but it's still a goal to have. No, I you know, I manage the entire division, so we have uh, development review engineers, so we're we're part of the development review process, looking at the technical aspects grading permits, that sort of thing. Um, we have an in-house design crew, so we have uh, surveyors, draftsmen, et cetera. We uh, have a land acquisition group that uh, that acquires properties for uh, those types of projects. 
We do uh, stormwater as a part of our purview as well. So we have a stormwater engineer and, of course, the, the public works inspection, all of that. So I, I'm managing all of that. Uh, we also have our trails coordinator. Our, our trails system here is, is kind of an interesting setup. The engineering division uh, is responsible for getting the, the design work done, getting permits, getting acquisitions they then turn the projects over most of the time. Sometimes we bid them out, but most of the time we have an in-house crew through our transportation division that uh, does the, the construction and, and all of that, and our trails coordinator kind of manages that through. Um, and then, uh, as far as the operation side, it's turned over to the parks department, and it becomes essentially a linear park. So we work with all of those divisions to, to go through. So uh, that's, a, that's an important part of our business here as well. Um, and then, as far as you know, what I'm what I'm working on right now, uh, we actually have a transportation master plan. Nelson Nygaard is our consultant, and uh, so I'm the project manager on that, and that's taken up a lot of my time and been a lot of work, but is is going to be a very good plan, I think, as we finish it this fall, and uh, will will really help guide us as we go forward in uh, selecting projects and just just really how we manage our transportation system. One of the things I really wanted to chat with you about was the the very innovative stuff you guys are doing in the tactical urbanism realm. I want to preface it by asking, what were the challenges and what were the questions that you found yourself asking and dealing with that got you to the point where you said, let's let's check this out? A lot of engineers, we're trained in a certain way. I think you and I would probably agree on the the idea that trying new things <laughs> is 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 interesting to us but also you know kind of uh raises some red flags especially something that would be a, a little bit chaotic i'd like to start with wh- what were the things you were struggling with or dealing with that that prompted you to ask the questions that got you to to tactical urbanism we have lots of of uh, people who call in and you know it may just be they they went out to get their mail and uh you know a, a neighbor drove by too fast, got too close to them, or their child, you know, almost got hit in a neighborhood, and and all of a sudden, you know, this is the the worst problem in the city, and and you know, it should be to that particular person. So, we have a traffic calming program, but it's it's you know kind of half baked, really. We we've, we've got some semi policies that don't really, you know, if you really look at the point system that we have. Almost none of our streets meet the criteria to to be considered for traffic calming, and the council hasn't funded any traffic calming improvements um, in the past probably almost ten years now anyway uh, we've got some speed tables that have been you know popular for the people who live in front of them, but not very popular with drivers. So, you know, one of the things that we really have talked a lot about is and we actually had people call and say, "Hey, can I pay to put in?" Uh, speed bump and how what would that look like and we never were really able to get there and you know we've looked at some other low cost type things using uh you know the ceramic buttons or you know other things to to try to create uh traffic calming situations but you know that's that's something that you know we've we've struggled with all these these folks that have called in and say hey we we need something done here and so tactical urbanism is kind of a way to say oh you want something done well Here's a chance for you to to do something. So it really was kind of a natural fit from that standpoint. 
as we began looking at the process, and of course we we um, had street plans collaborative come in and, and do a workshop with us, and that's when the public really began talking about it and and getting engaged and bringing in ideas of things that they wanted to try. So it's kind of a a problem that we've not been able to do as a city. You know, something we've not been able to address as a city. So here's an opportunity for the public to kind of uh, be involved. Now, you guys have created a permitting process. Yes. I'd like to get into two things with it. I'd like to, first of all, get into how you came up with it. Like, what what were the steps you went through? Because I think people would find that interesting. But can you describe first the, the process? Like, what someone who wants to do something, they're going to come in, and what are they going to present and go through, and, and how is that going to work? Okay. Yeah, and of course, we, these are initiated by regular citizens, you know, typically they're not engineers or maybe somebody that has an engineering background or some knowledge, but, you know, we try to design it so that uh, the layperson could understand what we're, what we're looking for. So it's a relatively simple permit. We, we asked them for a sketch, uh, timeframes, when they want to do it, how long they want to leave it in. We give them some guidelines about where they can put it. You know, we say no state highways. That's 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 not going to work. Um, anything, you know, collectors and arterials. You got to be really careful. You know, just give them some some simple parameters. Uh, they simply turn that in. It comes to engineering. Um, we have a have a software program that uh, then we you know we click a button and it gets spit out to police and fire our transportation division and sometimes our parking division if it impacts parking in the downtown area. Those groups have a chance to review it. They then send comments back to us, to engineering. Uh, we will compile those comments, and, you know, we, we have denied some permits for for a certain request, um, or if we, if we do approve it, there may be some comments on it. And then we have some other processes for street closure permits and other things that may have to happen once they get to it. But what we've really tried to do is make it a pretty short process, pretty simple. You know, you don't have to hire an engineer. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it. And then, you know, we, we're prepared to provide some technical assistance for, uh, you know, if there's some, you know, some traffic control issues there or, uh, you know, whatever it may be to kind of guide them in the right direction. When you were putting this process together, what did that involve internally? And what, you know, red flags and, and questions came up and, and, and how were those overcome? I can imagine, because I've been in enough of these meetings, uh, there's a certain amount of control that you're giving up and that, you know, other departments are giving up. And, and that always comes at a, if not a, a social kind of cost, there's a, there's a transaction cost to doing that socially. You know, okay, now we're, you know, we're somewhat responsible for what goes on, but we don't have a lot of control. What were the red flags that came up, and how did those conversations go? Right, yeah, uh, you know, liability obviously is the first thing that jumps to mind, and our our traffic folks that you know they're responsible for making sure that our streets are you know our striping and our signage is is in accordance with the MUTCD, and that is a control issue. You know, they are very very concerned about that. You know, on a on a personal and uh, professional level. Um, our fire department is very concerned about um, emergency access and the police department, of course, about about safety issues that may be created. So um, I think all of those groups, you know, had concerns. Uh, we actually talked to our uh, attorney, our city attorney, about 
you know, what liability issues are there for the city to, to allow people to do these sort of things. And uh, essentially they said, you know, because of the way Arkansas state law is, we have uh, pretty wide immunity from, from most things. So there's not the liability concern really wasn't there um, from the city attorney side. But, you know, the public safety was one that, that we really had a concern. So there's all of that uh, which was one thing. And then, you know, the other part is just the logistical, you know, who's going to staff this, who's going to, you know, have a chance to, to look at it. And it's, you know, obviously in a growing city, um, everybody's busy and, you know, there's a lot to do. And so this is, a, you know, another program. So there was some concern there as well. After we got through kind of all of those discussions, then uh, really it was just a matter of kind of hammering out, you know, who's going to do what and when and using the software and uh, sustainability was a big part of that. They really helped kind of put the guide together. I remember we, we went through a kind of a beta test. We put the permit together. We sent it out to the half dozen or so people who had expressed interest in a project and said, okay, we're testing this permitting process. We want you to submit your request and it may take longer than normal or it may, you know, there may be some, some fits and starts here, but uh, we want to use you to try to figure out, really hammer out our process. And so we did that and we got some of those in and then we had a meeting with the with our public safety folks, you know, everybody who's involved in the permitting process. And, you know, there was a lot of, well, you can't do this because it doesn't meet the fire code and you can't do that because it's not safe. And what I encouraged the group to do is, is uh, say, you know, these are things that could happen, but it's for a short time and it's really to kind of test things that work. I mean, the whole point of tactical urbanism is to, try something and just and see if it works and if it doesn't work you're not stuck with it i think that maybe kind of helped the light bulb come on in in the the people who are involved's eyes and they said okay yeah we we recognize that this is this may be a little more restrictive than what we would like but we can live with it for that amount of time as long as we get to comment if it's you know when it's time to think about a permanent installation or taking it out completely or whatever as long as we get a chance to comment and say, well, this either didn't work or it kind of worked if we can fix this or, yeah, this was fine after all. Let's go ahead and make it permanent and uh, make it be you know, part of the, the system. How have things been going? You said you had a, a half dozen or so people that expressed interest. Has it been something that people have stepped up and done? And how have you been able to manage that? We've had we ended up with, uh, I think, four or five applications and of those four, two of them we denied and said, no, you need to you need to go about this a different way or kind of rethink your plan. The other two we approved and they both have been installed, implemented. We immediately got calls uh, about it. You know, it goes up. We have a we have a local um, online newspaper here, the Fayetteville Flyer, and, you know, they put it up. And so we get to read what the comments are and, you know, lots of positive comments. This is really cool. And then other comments from engineers and, you know, other types saying, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't meet MUTCD for this reason, <laughs> et cetera. So, right. and that's really the whole point of it is just that let's put it out there, you know, let's talk about it and let's, let's really figure out what is really a problem and what's, you know, just a perceived problem. Um, and, you know, there may be times where 
and as a matter of fact, uh, there there was a situation with the one that got installed. We we they used some of the candlestick type stanchions to uh, narrow the the intersection, uh, reduce the curb radii. Those were getting hit on a semi regular basis by larger vehicles, and so they came back with the armadillos. They took those candlesticks out and put the armadillos in. So it's something that larger vehicles can just bump over. Um, so, you know, it's something we're going to almost immediately, if there's a, you know, a big problem, then we're immediately going to get back to the applicant and say, hey, we need to, we need to tweak this because, you know, this is really isn't working. Uh, but otherwise, we leave it in for, you know, two to three months is, is kind of what, what we've been looking at for most of these applications. Once we get to the end of that, we haven't gotten to the end yet uh, of either, either the ones that are in, but once we get there, then we'll talk about, you know what's the what's the long term solution here? Do we do we don't like it? We take it out, it goes away. Do we like it? But it's not something that really is the city is going to do. And if you know if the community wants to keep it up, they can. Or let's put it in a work plan for the city to move these curbs and uh, change this configuration permanently, and it becomes you know permanent part of the system. I've got two kind of final questions for you. The first one is. What do you think you've learned through this process? Is there been something for you that going in, you, you thought one way and now as you've, you know, had these conversations, developed this process and, and, and put a couple of these out there looking back, like, wow, I, I, I didn't know that. Or I, I thought differently. Is there, is there anything along those lines? I think uh, even some of the applicants have said, you know, this is this is harder than it looks. The, the the experts that are out here painting the street and laying things out, they make it look easy, but for the general public, it's really not that simple. So, you know, we and it's a it's a manpower issue, but maybe it is something that we need an inspector or city staff member involved while they're laying it out to make sure they get it done properly. Because, you know, even though it's a short period of time. We still need, there are, there are certain standards we need to make. We need to make sure the bars, the, the crosswalk bars, et cetera, are reflective. We need to make sure that signs are put up, you know, the right distance from the curve. So somebody doesn't hit them. So there are just a lot of little bitty details that the general public isn't going to, they just don't know. They don't have the background. So, you know, we probably need to provide a little bit of assistance and inspection and just make sure that, those kind of things go down. Otherwise, it's really a matter of, you know, being prepared for some people to say, you know, it's been like this for, you know, I've had people call and say, I've lived here 55 years and it's been like this the whole time. Why did you need to change it? And you're going to hear some of that kind of stuff. And you really just have to kind of say, okay, we've received your comments. It's a, it's a trial process. Uh, Once we get to the end of the process, we'll analyze all the comments and, you know, not get too wound up about somebody saying, you know, you need to put this back and then, you know, to feel pressure to try to put it back immediately because we do have that, uh, you know, the end of the project that we can evaluate that. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to ask you a bigger question and I don't, you know, I, I know you're a humble guy and don't want to tell everybody else what to do, but if, if, if you were presenting at a, an engineering conference full of your, your fellow professionals, what kind of lessons would you say the engineering profession can learn from this? What are some of the takeaways that you'd hope others with a PE behind their name would, uh, would be able to learn from the work you guys have done? 
what I've learned, what what's helped me understand better what the other groups, you know, the fire department and and other folks who are involved, you know, really what they're thinking and why they're so resistive to some of these things. I mean, it really is important, I think, to really sit down with them and talk through that and understand their, you know, their perspective. We get calls from the public. Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Well, here's why you can't do it, because the the manual says you can't do that. Um, that's why these guys that, that go about their business every single day uh, out there, I mean, that's why we have safe streets, because they do go about their business every single day and make sure that things are standard, et cetera. But then also trying to guide them in the direction of, you know, some things in this in this engineering manual were designed for highways and they're not designed for, you know, two local streets that come together. And, you know, there's some flexibility in, in the manual. You know, maybe you can look at some of that flexibility and uh, where it says you should do this, you know, maybe you can maybe you can say, well, we're not going to do that in this case. It's a fine line. It's, it's really a difficult uh, situation, you know, especially as an engineer, your uh, professional license is, is on the line and everybody has to keep that in mind on a daily basis. But some of the things that, you know, people propose that people want to do uh, make things safer. I mean, they make it they make it less comfortable for cars in some situations, but just because you're a little less comfortable doesn't mean you're less safe. You know, you gotta you gotta really think about being more open-minded and again engaging uh, those other groups, the the fire and and police and your operations folks, and really understanding their perspective, and then try to help them understand um, the other perspective as well. I would encourage everybody uh, listening if you get a chance. Go through Fayetteville. Uh, you'll be pleasantly uh, surprised, or, or maybe not surprised, because uh, it's a pretty great place. We're going to post uh, links to the uh, the permitting stuff you guys have put together so people can can take a look at that. I just really am inspired by and, and, and love what you guys are doing. Chris Brown from Fayetteville, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, you take care and keep in touch. If something else uh, comes up, don't hesitate to let me know. I'd, I'd love to have you on again and point out more of the good work you guys are doing. Sounds good. We'll do it. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. We need your help. If you think the strong town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.